the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today, one more look at our series, Guess Who's Coming? Next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As a prelude to Christmas, if you will, our series called Guess Who's Coming deals with the second advent of Jesus. The question is, are you ready? And that is the question we leave you with as we close out our series here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We find ourselves in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We did invite you to join us there as we ask the simple question, are you ready? How do you know if you're ready? And what do you need to do if you're not? With the answers to those questions, here's Pastor Phil. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. I mean, and that's the only exercise he gets. That and to jumping to conclusion. That's his mental exercise. And notice this, get this. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. It's kind of like your your treadmill. You're wanting to buy one of these things that you put a quarter in it and it moves your body. You know, I've got all kinds of exercise. If you went in my basement, you would think I was running a gym. I've got a treadmill down there. I've got a uh, recumbent bike. Uh, I have a total gym. I've got little barbells. It's great for hanging clothes on. It's great. I mean, I just sweat looking at it. Uh, I, I bought the, the treadmill for Carolyn, and then uh, she didn't use it like she, she said, you know what the problem is? I said, what is it? She said, I need a TV down there. This is where I pray and study. Move a TV in the study? What do you mean? If I had a TV, I could watch the news and do it. Guess what? I got a TV. Guess where it is? It's in the grandchildren's room. They watch their videos on it. Because after it was down there for a while, I didn't see any more uh, running taking place, watching a TV. It is amazing that some people, this lazy man, he's just like the hinges of a door. That's the only exercise. And, and he's too lazy. And then when you try to tell him the wise way to live, listen to what he says in 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes and seven men who answered discreetly. You can't tell him a thing. He knows everything. He's got life all figured out. There's not hardly any young people here. Young people, one of the afflictions of your age is lack of ambition and laziness. We've got more junior colleges around, more education available, and I see so many kids with no motivation because if it takes you any work, they don't want to do it. If 
My dad used to tell about in Oklahoma about a farmer that was too lazy to help his family. And so my dad grew up there when it was martial law. His own brothers or his dad's people hung a man for stealing a saddle. No law, so they just hung him. Uh, five Howard boys hung the guy. Well, this farmer guy wasn't doing anything with crops. And they decided he wouldn't fit to live, wouldn't take care of his wife, wouldn't take care of his children. They decided to go take him out and hang him. They clean up the neighborhood. And so uh, uh, they, they did. They got him in the back of a wagon. And uh, they're riding along, taking him to the place they're going to hang him. And the men begin to talk. says, you know, we could help him out. We, we, I guess if we all pitched in a little bit on, from our crops, we could at least help him get through the winter. And uh, they were on their way. And one farmer said, you know what? I can give him a bushel of corn. The guy was tied up in the back of the wagon. He rose up and he said, has it been shucked? And the guy said, no. He said, keep riding. Keep riding. You know, uh, laziness, laziness. Uh, Some folks, they're too lazy to do God's work. Uh, They've always, and here he's taking on a brother, and they're probably using this eschatology, this prophetic truth. He's coming. He's coming. I can't get involved. Jesus, any moment's coming. I can't. I'm just watching. I'd work, but I'm waiting and watching. Wait, watch, and work. That's what he's telling them. Don't use this prophetic truth that Christ is coming. And the end of Antichrist, however they wove that in, and however it's being used, prophetic truth has never been a thing to give you molasses in your blood and cause you not to work. So he starts telling them, hey, tell this brother, be careful. And he says, how you ought to respond. See, we never, this is why men don't preach chapter 3. I thought, God, do I have to preach chapter 3? Yeah, I guess I do. God wanted us to hear it. And he tells us how to respond to a lazy brother. Now, there's probably none in Valley Bible, but there was here. So look what he tells him in verse 6. Keep away from every brother who is idle and does not keep this teaching. Uh, In verse 14, he says, take note of him. Uh, Mark this man. 14, he says, don't associate with him. It says, don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so, um, Paul went on to say, he was a model of how to work. Um, You know what? If you spend 40 to 50 hours a week on a job, could you be a model worth watching and working? I, I seldom hear people thanking God for their job. I seldom hear them thank God for their employer. It seemed to be more in style to complain about them. And yet, here Paul says, when I was among you, I set you an example. Rabbis were taught, you learn a trade to support yourself because a rabbi was never to take money for teaching. And so Paul grew up as a leather craftsman. We hear the term tent maker. That was the ability to work with leather. Who knows what all he could do with leather. So he said, when I was among you, I was an example to you. I worked hard, verse 7. 
We were not idle and we did not loaf. We didn't eat other people's food without paying for it. Now, it's not that he didn't have dinner with somebody, but that was a phrase that said, we're not counting on our subsistence to be where we're doing missionary work. That's quite interesting. He goes on to say, I have the right to be paid. But when he was engaged in missionary work, planning the gospel where Christ had not been named, he did not count on the heathen or the pagan or the unsaved to be a source of income for him. The only time a man ever ought to be supported is when there is a body of saved people large enough to constitute the ability to raise up support for them. But when he was doing evangelism, when he was among the unsaved, he never went there asking for an offering. He went there, he worked by day, paid all of his bills. I came to give you the gospel free. And he was the supreme example, not only to people, but to pastors and workers everywhere. He was a hardworking man. I think one of the great testimonies you can have is to be one of the best workers on your job and to be a model. I remember in the early days of this church, one of our young men went to work for United Grocers, uh, loading groceries like at a Safeway place, but he loaded groceries there. You know what the problem was? He was hit by the union guys to slow down because he worked so hard. He read the verses in Ephesians and Colossians. Do your work as unto the Lord and not unto men. Work hard as unto him. Don't steal from the company. Don't steal time. Don't be a sluffer. Don't hang out the coffee room longer than you ought to. But be an example of a work ethic. And the guys came to him and said, We don't like the pace you're setting. Slow down. And he came to me, what should I do? I said, work heartily unto the Lord. Don't overdo it. I hope you don't lose your job. But he'd been around a bunch of guys that learned to do a minimum, slough, go on. And here the zealous believer who didn't even hardly have a job until he became a Christian, didn't even think work was uh, holy. He didn't need to. He grew up around money. But he had a work ethic that grabbed him from the scriptures. And I ask ourselves, are you a good employee? Are you a good employer? If you're a good employer, you ought to be a model too of being gracious and generous and fair. Don't take all the profits for yourself. Remember the guy that worked for you. But he's saying something very practical at the end of one of the strongest prophetic books in the New Testament. Hey, by the way, beware of those few brethren among you that are taking this attitude. We will just slough, live off the church, and won't have a work ethic. Work ethic. The Bible said if you've been a thief all your life, get a job and work so that you may supply the needs of others. Ephesians 4.29. It says in Colossians 3, be motivated by the Lord, not by a boss always breathing over you. Would the Lord approve of the way you work? Ephesians says, work, don't steal. You have 1 Timothy 5.9 that says, 
you ought to make it your ambition to make enough money that if you had a widowed mother, you could support her and you wouldn't hang around, wait till she dies so you can get an inheritance. My brother David calls those the waiters. People just wait for their folks to die so they can get some money. He said in 1 Timothy, the child ought to be able to support the parent. Quite a change in our culture. Work. Who has a biblical work ethic? Now, I must say this. Be careful, men. Don't let your job be your God. Don't let your job be your wife and your mistress. Don't let the company give you another promotion and move you to a 70-hour week. Because your kids aren't going to remember your job as much as your absence. An absentee father can have little impact. And the great, great crime of our culture is that greed and economics has robbed us of women in the home because you can't hardly live in the Bay Area without a man and a woman working. God's idea would be a man could support his wife and children. It'd be a 50s home where mama could stay home with these children you beget. And you can know each other in the evening. But greed and economics and this unbreakable pace that America's going at at this time to get money, get money, houses going out of proportion. It makes me sick as a pastor to see houses since I've lived here 62 years, to see houses that sold for 20000 going for 500000 Oh, it disgusts me. It disgusts me because my grandchildren probably won't get to live here. It disgusts me because young married couples in this church, their wife has to figure out how to get a job. Who cares if anybody raises the children? It is a horrendous pressure I know that you couples are living with. Only God can give you strength and wisdom how to navigate these economic times. But for one thing for sure, let it not be said of pastors, preachers, believers, deacons, elders, they are lazy people. There is too much to be done and too little time for us to be lazy. Let me say something about retirement while we're on a touchy subject. We have no Bible for retirement. They just lived and died. No retirement. So if you have a retirement, that's a wonderful economic privilege. But let me tell you how to die early. Become inactive, become disengaged, and just sit around waiting for your Social Security check to come with nothing to do, you're going to die younger than you ought to. Every mind and every body ought to be as engaged as you can. You're going to change your activity maybe from the job you had for years or whatever you got your retirement check from. But God meant for your mind. There's no place in the Bible. When you're 65, you're no longer usable to God. When you're 65, just draw a check, disengage, resign all your offices in the church, and just travel all over the country. After a while, you'll get sick of it. There's still classes to be taught. There's still rest homes to be visited. 
There's still encouragement cards that can be written. You're still a human being that can make a viable contribution to the lives of not only your children and grandchildren, but the lives of others. And let me say what we ought to be doing around this holiday time. We tell our deacons, if you know of any widow in this church, let one of our deacons know. Give it to me. We want to know. If there's anybody in this church in need in December, we want to do something to help them. Don't we? We do. Why? Well, I am not going to help it. Yeah, we are. God, don't let the stingy ever get in charge of this budget. I want to tell you, we, every time we give it out, God pours more on us and we keep trying. And when we keep giving it to the poor, the needy, last week a family was in desperate need. This church has an agape fund. Mm. Ron Hughes was able to cut a check so that the rent's paid. Because you give the money to the agape fund. You give the money. We get to spend it. And we give to it too. I'm going to tell you, be on the lookout. There's a big difference, by the way, in somebody that won't work and someone that's unable to work. He's not talking about the disabled here. He's not talking about sickness, affliction, injuries. He's talking about a will. I won't work. That's the danger. Matter of fact, don't you pray God will let you work until you take your last breath? That you could be doing something to help someone? So he's talking about full engagement, full engagement in life. Then he says, as he concludes, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I must say this, that peace is the greatest, one of the greatest gifts I can imagine to lose it. Carol and I were having a cup of coffee the other morning. She said, you know what? What would you trade, sweetheart, for the peace of God? That all is well. All is well. We just had an, her aging aunt and uncle. He's got Alzheimer's, 83. Her aunt, 83. Arthritis can barely walk. But she's been a model Christian to Carol and all. And we just talk about her aunt broke down crying that she's losing her husband. She hates to see, can't even remember what the bathroom is. I was trying to play checkers and couldn't remember the moves. And uh, been a, a strong man, but the mind is going. A Francis Sylvester in a home here in Rodale, one of the sharpest women in this church for years. Now she doesn't even know her daughter when she comes to see her. You know, you want to thank God for peace. What would you do if you have Alzheimer's? George Patterson, struggling to remember. Sometimes he knows Linda, sometimes he struggles. And his life changing. Vietnam vet, loves this Linda, but the body is caving in. What would you do if you could remember your wife's name and your children's name? Would there be a deep settled peace internally because you know God even though your faculties were going? Here he prays for these believers. 
There's men that want to persecute the church and want to kill Paul. But something they have not been able to take from him was that peace Jesus promised in John. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world giveth, give I to you. But my peace, even in the shadow of the cross in John 17, I'll be dead within 24 hours. But I want to give you something I've got. I've got peace, and I'm going to give it to my followers. And he concludes by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. What does that mean? May God's unmerited favor surround the rest of your life. And so, we see this majestic, majestic book concludes on such practical notes. I'd like to say a few words about the lazy, a few quotes I found that I thought was quite apropos. Bob Hope said, people who throw kisses are mighty hopelessly lazy. If you're too lazy to kiss her, why throw it? Reagan said, it's true hard work never killed anybody, but I figured why take the chance? Henry Clay said, the time will come when winter will ask you what you were doing all summer. When the winter cold and the rain comes, it's going to ask you, did you make any provisions in your summer? And uh, I love this line. It's easier to mend neglect than to quicken love. Easier to mend neglect than to quicken love. Milton Freeman said this, and I close. We have a system that increasingly taxes work and subsidizes non-work. The harder you work, the more you'll be taxed. And uh, we'll tax you to subsidize people that oftentimes won't work. So I pray that uh, you men that are going night and day could find a balance so you know your children And that by the time they get 20, they won't be playing the cats in the cradle for you because they're too busy running your car keys, but they've already forgotten you. I hope you'll know the children you father. Uh, I have to say, I've been a workaholic most of my life. And if I have a great wife, I just wonder what our home would have been like for our daughters because my mistress was the church. I thought 70 hours a week is what I ought to give, and it's what I gave. And because I love this work and driven to it. It's only as I'm getting a little older and I'm maintaining with diabetes that my pace is a bit slower. But I'm driven. I have a thousand things I want to do for God, and I'm asking him to give me a thousand lives. What will you do while you have breath? At least don't waste your opportunity. Become ambitious to do something for God. And you can serve him until you're in your 80s if he'll give you strength and soundness of mind. May it never be said, we're a lazy people. Our Father, I thank you for these precious believers. I thank you for your word. So practical. I really didn't want to preach this, Lord. I didn't find it inspirational. I just broke out in a sweat just thinking that you want us to work. But you know, I found, Father, work 
and labor at that which is worthwhile is rewarding. You told them, do not become weary of well-doing. And I pray for those who may be weary on their jobs, weary even in their Christian life, weary at whatever service they may be giving to the body of Christ. Help us not to faint. Help us not to throw in the towel. Help us to pace ourselves on the energy you supply that we may use it to glorify you and serve you while we have breath. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time together has come to a close here, but as we leave you, we'd like to do so with our address and phone number if you'd like to contact us, and we would love to hear from you. You see, Truth For Today airs here on KFAX in part through financial partnerships with our listeners, such as yourself. If the Lord is prompting you to make either a one-time gift or be a monthly donor, we would love to hear from you. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. Please take a moment and contact us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. And as our way of saying thank you for your partnership with us, we'll make you a TFT sustainer, which includes our quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional, into your email box every week. Again, it's all part of our TFT Sustainers Package. Contact us and learn more at 855-833-9864, or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org. And you can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you stop by our website, valleybible.org, please remember other resource materials are available there. Other series is taught by Pastor Phil, some of the books that he's authored. You can also find out about Valley Bible Church, who we are and what we believe, how to get here, times that we worship. And you're more than welcome to join us. Again, you'll find it all at valleybible.org. Stop by and pay us a visit. Then drop us an email and let us know you did pay us a visit. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 